Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security, Security Confidential. This is Minoj Tandon, your host. Today, we are honored to have Bob Carver join us, and he is of no relation to the speaker guy. I wish he was, but... <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but he's, uh, he's awesome. Uh, you know, he actually started his career off in the financial sector and then got into cybersecurity. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here in the, in the future. Uh, but he has worked for, I think he was one of the first employees at Verizon in their incident response business. And, yeah, and that, the wireless. More like, wireless, more, yeah. Right. So we'll, uh, we'll get that background. And, and you, Bob, were also uh, voted by LinkedIn as one of the top five influencers in the world to follow for cybersecurity. What an honor there. And you were recently at CES uh, on a panel mm -hmm. uh, right, discussing right. Uh, cybersecurity and, and product development. So thank you for being here. Welcome right. to the show. Well, thank you for having me here, Minaj. I appreciate it. You know, we, it's, uh, uh, we're grateful for many of the insights that you're going to bring to us. You know, our audience is pretty eclectic and, and they're, and they love these topics uh, and they, you know, our mission is to educate them. And hopefully uh, knowing what you do, you're going to be able to give a couple nuggets uh, on some practical things that some of them might be able to implement in their businesses and, and their daily lives as cybersecurity professionals. But we got to start with, you know, how did you get into this? You were in finance. I was an IT guy that was working in the financial okay. industry. And then I volunteered for all the security projects at the financial institution. Was, uh, Fidelity Investments. You probably heard of that. I've heard of them. <laughs> so they, they you didn't like your job? You, were, you wanted to take more punishment? Was that the... <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was... You know, I, I, sort of, I think I knew instinctively that, that security was going to be an up-and-coming thing. So I, did, I volunteered for a lot of projects. Like my first project was building a key management center that basically it uh, keeps track of security keys for encrypted systems. And we had these, you know, financial institutions that transfer, you know, millions of dollars back yeah. and forth. And you'd have private circuits and you wanted it encrypted and that sort of thing. So I built an encryption system we call a key management system out of uh, embedded Unix Back wow. in 1999, so it would be Y2K compliant. That's fantastic, That's fantastic. And Unix. So, what was the platform at that time? Was that Sun? yeah? It was it was in embedded Unix. Oh, embedded it was Unix. Actually called Unix, I think. And what was wild is uh, that only ran on five and a quarter floppies, <laughs> and, and and I had to I had to source. Uh, a five and a quarter floppy drive because they weren't using them anymore. They were, they still had the disc at three, you know, I think it's three and a quarter. Anyway, the normal size disc, the smaller discettes, but the floppies, they just didn't have them. So I had to, to uh, f find somebody that was selling some old, new old stock on five and a quarter. You know, I so still I might have some uh, new old stock lying around. I kept it around for nostalgia. Yeah. Just, you know, just so that people walk into my office and say, what's that for? You know, yeah, you know, it's like that's good. That's nice. <laughs> it's a talking point, but yes. uh, key management is huge. I mean, even today, that's a very relevant topic. Uh, and, sure, uh, but and there's a bit of a science to it and a process to it. It's not something oh, yeah. you just do haphazardly. And it was 
I think it was, you know, it was pro- probably back then it was AES-256 was considered, you know, DOD type encryption. So although AES-256 is getting less and less as the top banana, they're getting, they're getting bigger, better, better. Look, as, as our compute power goes up and, um, you know, these things, that world is going to continue to evolve and change. When we look at quantum computing, what's going to happen with that? Uh, it's anyone's guess. I mean, there's a lot of theories out there, but chances are 50 years from now, uh, maybe AES 256s can be cracked in microseconds, you know? Oh, yeah, unfortunately. And, right. And that throws a real damper on the entire internet. But we'll get to that in a second. I wanted okay. to get to how, how, how did, uh, how did you start as on the Verizon team then in Instagram? Yeah, the pro- so, and yeah, the- two questions there, actually. Go Bob. ahead. Go ahead. Two questions there. So first of all, we think of Verizon. I know everybody knows of Verizon security now, but typically if you ask the layperson about Verizon, they're thinking about that guy that walks around saying, hey, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? <laughs> sure. Um, so explain a little bit about how does a company like that even get into the security business? And then how the heck did you become Yeah. Uh, the first guy in this thing. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, they did have some full-time people on the Verizon, the wired line, the older wired line side, but wireless, um, they were part-time people and contractors. Okay. And what, what happened, uh, I, I'd say I owe my job at Verizon Wireless to Paris Hilton. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but Paris I Hilton. Remember, who doesn't know Paris Hilton? Yeah, Paris Hilton. Anyway, I, if I ever see her, I have to thank her, but I, I haven't seen her recently. So, <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> maybe I, one of these days. Hey, maybe uh, you're in better social circles than I am because I can't get into those parties. I mean, no, I, I haven't been to any of her parties either. Uh, <laughs> but, but what happened, she was, you know, she was, uh, I think the device was called a sidekick back then. And anyway, her account huh. got hacked at T Mobile. And uh, the Verizon wireless folks, which was a totally separate entity back then from Verizon, um, they said, oh, I think we better start hiring some full-time guys. So anyway, as a result, I went to interview, long, long interview process back and forth and back and forth with multiple candidates. And they ended up hiring me as uh, employee number one for Verizon wireless back in 2005. You know what? I bet you Paris Hilton doesn't listen to this podcast, but also <laughs> she probably has no clue that she inadvertently kicked off one of the largest security arms in the world. There you go. <laughs> I think you're probably right on that. <laughs> right. And, and, and from this bad story that you're telling. So, um, that's just, that's amazing right. how, uh, she has that much power, even when she's not <laughs> sure involved I mean, she with it directly. She she didn't have the social media back then; just she had the normal press. Yeah, she had the normal press. So when Verizon got into this, was <laughs> it just about incident response, or were they actually going to get into like full sock operations and things? And- oh well, eventually we did get into full sock operations. It was it started out just with me for quite some time, and then. The, which, you know, millions and millions of events. Wow, yeah. And then I, uh, finally I said, well, when am I going to go to hire somebody, you know? And they finally let me hire one guy. And then over time we were hired more. And now, you know, we have dozens of people and working 24 seven. So what, 
I, I guess that there's a question in there that I, I can't think of anybody who um, listens to this hasn't faced a budget problem, right? So just looking at the, the, the Verizon example you gave, it sounds like what, what caused the executive team to actually give you a budget to say, all right, Bob, maybe we'll let you have a, <laughs> a guy sure. and a slice of pizza too. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, one one of the one of the big expenses we started out with, um, besides personnel, was being able to, uh, you know, because there's so many security events. When you're talking about a nationwide wireless network, know. you know, we had well over 100 million customers. That's so incredible. You, you, so even even at the beginning, you have tens of millions of of security events, and how do you? make sense of those. You know, I, I tried to, they, uh, matter of fact, I was hired before a director and the CISO or all those people. I was like the guy, but, uh, you know, I was dealing with people at the beginning that didn't have a full understanding of what was going on. Uh, I said, you're going to have to have something to make sense of all these events. Uh, I said, I showed, I mean, I showed the events just zooming by. It's like, what, can you make sense of any of those? You, <laughs> I said, can you write a report on anything that's going on there? And 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 they said, no, I, I don't. <laughs> anyway, I couldn't get them to, to come up with a decent answer. And I said, you're going to have to come up with a security event management system to be able to slice and dice those events so you can see them better. And, and if you want to do some reporting down the road, you're going to have to have something like that. So uh, got a budget for that. And of course, gradually grew that back. That was before things had gone into virtual machines on a regular basis, you know, or the cloud. Like they oh, yeah. Today. And so we built that system from uh, one or two servers up to like, I think it was like 24 or 25 servers. So it was pretty That's large. sizable infrastructure back then. That would have oh, been yeah. expensive back then. Oh, yeah. And very expensive. And of course, you know, uh, just it takes people to manage that infrastructure. You can't just yeah. do that, you know, on a few seconds a day. <laughs> no, you can't. It, you'd need a team of people, right. And, right? and those that equipment back then was very expensive. Storage was expensive. Memory was expensive. I mean, twenty five sure. servers. That was a there was oh, yeah. probably a healthy yeah. seven figure investment into that. Yeah. Oh, it was a lot. It was a lot, but. Uh, Anyway, uh, we were able to start getting some reporting and able to see events more strategically to be able to see when things were going wrong. So uh, it helped a lot. So, you know, you you have seen and built cybersecurity programs at some very large organizations from their infancy. So I have to ask you the question, why are companies, given the large number of breaches that happen today, why are they so ineffective with cybersecurity? What gives? What's what's going on? A lot of times, I don't think they understand the amount of risk until it happens to them or somebody maybe very close to them. You know? Yeah. You know, if you if, if all of a sudden you have a competitor go out of bit your key one of your key competitors go out of business, it's like, uh oh, maybe this is something I need to look at, you know, and figure out. So why is that? Is that it's out of sight or out of mind. They genuinely yeah. don't care. And, and well, I think I, I, there's still, especially the smaller the organization is, I think there's still a mindset that, 
you know, the number one most important thing is to remain profitable. So there's cash flow. So you can pay your employees. So you can pay yourself. Yeah. And uh, then they just sort of, uh, I think, more sort of a head head in the sand, uh, you know, or you're you're playing Russian roulette. They they just don't think. Well, there's only one bullet in that revolver. <laughs> it's, yeah, I got one out of six. Odds? It's not, not going <laughs> to happen to me. I mean, I had I had uh, actually. I mean, at one time, my parents were sort of that way too. They didn't run a business or anything, but I, I said, Gee, "You're going to have to do some things to protect yourself." And then uh, my parents were involved, and their all their information was exposed in a major breach. Wow. You know, and they they said, "Oh, we're good Christians. Nothing, no, nothing bad happened to us." <laughs> and then, like I said, all their stuff was exposed. And then all of a sudden, oh. they call me in a panic, like, "What do I do? What do I do?" <laughs> you know, it's unfortunate uh, what you're describing. In you know, we primarily at Dark Rhino serve small, medium businesses, and we usually don't get a call from someone until the horse leaves the barn. Yeah. And now it becomes a lightning priority, right? Yes. Uh, and then there's a little bit of a sticker shock of what does cybersecurity, like if you're really going to do it there and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, I, I want to get into more detail on that, but sure. is there also, do you think how much of the, and I'll just put it in air quotes, ineffectivity of cybersecurity is due to, uh, cybersecurity professionals not being able to articulate to the business owners what the real business implications are. Is there is there a failure on that side that's uh, not able to daylight the magnitude of the problem? I know I've I've been there before many times. I think until it gets really close up in in people's faces. Sometimes uh, they just don't want to deal with it. A lot of times, because they're dealing with all the things. I mean, just think the things we have to deal with on a regular basis. Uh, I mean, inflation alone, the cost of borrowing money. Uh, Geez, look at the price of uh, bread, eggs, and cars right now. Oh, it's ridiculous. Just just gone through the roof. So I think uh, people just have uh, a limit on how much they can process and, and deal with. So I, I think that's a lot of it. Again, in, until it's close and up, up in 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 their face, um, it's difficult for people to to deal with it. And I think it's again more sort of a head in the sand. But but I think they're just overwhelmed with the amount of risk out there and and what they're dealing with. It's and it's not it's difficult. It's not easy. Oh, it's absolutely not easy. I, I'll give you. It is difficult. And for people who whose core businesses, you know they're not in the cybersecurity business. So for yeah. them to even put the right level of resources or get the right advice is a very difficult task at hand to, if they were genuinely interested in it to begin with. So right. we can, we can absolutely appreciate it. Uh, but it's unfortunately not going towards solving the problem. <laughs> yeah. Understood. Uh, one of the things I know that helps me is that I have seen so many things over the last 23 plus 24, almost 24 years now, probably um, that I know what can go wrong and what can go bad. And there's times where I had 
better security in the early days than some corporations. So, uh, you know, and I and I probably have better security than the most small to medium sized businesses. I, I I can absolutely believe that. And I don't think I have, and I still probably I'm sure I don't have things covered that that I that I might should, but I I'm better than the average bear probably. <laughs> well, you know, Bob, I there's no such thing as 100 percent cybersecurity. I don't think you no. can get there. There will always be an attack surface. Always, there will always be vulnerabilities. I, I don't care what you throw at it. Sure. It, it's just never going to be zero. The question is, can you get it down to a place where you know what likely losses may occur and that that becomes acceptable to you? If you can do that, then you have better cybersecurity than anybody else at that point. Sure. Yeah. One of the things, I, I, I sort of look at it this way, uh, that you're you're trying to block all the bad things out there. And, and of course, you know, like security fences, you know, think about it. A lot of times there's these big chain link fences yep. and, and they have the razor wire on the top and that sort of thing. But you still got little holes in those fences, you know. You and then you got to sort of gradually, I mean, that cuts out the, some of the big things, but then you got smaller and smaller things that get through the hole. And what, then you have to sort of like layer your security, you know, you know and then you have chicken fencing. Then you might have, you know, some sort of, uh, like screen the screens in your your windows, you know, to to, to f filter out even more things. But then, what happens if what you're dealing with is that's a threat that's not even something that's physical that you can see and feel? What if what if they all of a sudden uh, say carbon monoxide or something like that? Right. Carbon monoxide is is a is a gas, and it just goes right through all those screens, and it can't be stopped. So I think it, people have to think that there's other things besides what what they might know that could be a threat unknown unknowns yes right and what yeah. you just described is defense in depth bob yes absolutely but even that has limitations to it sure right and uh, the carbon monoxide analogy that you look at solar winds i would put that right in that category i mean sure. that was carbon yeah. monoxide poisoning they would oh, yeah. have never detected it brilliantly right. engineered I, oh yeah, and and unfortunately, I think we're seeing more things like that. One one of the concerns that, and this is sort of come and gone a few times, but mal malvertising, uh, where advertising is carrying malicious payloads. Please and, uh, des describe that in more detail. That's fascinating. Sure. Well, one one of the things, if if you've looked into advertising, online advertising, you know, Google's one of the big ones, and then of course Facebook and. And of course, then you have, you know, even overseas, you have, you know, the, the Baidu's and the indexes and right. on and on. Uh, but people can buy advertising and almost pinpoint exactly who they want to target, which is really sort of scary. Uh, you can probably pinpoint it down to an IP or, or even a company, uh, a specific ad. And anyway, there's a big science behind this. But the, but the thing is... You know, from what I've heard, I think the the NSA and the CIA actually block advertising from their networks. And, you know, if you can block most of the advertising from your networks, then you lower your risk of having that type of situation where malware is dropped on your system. That That's uh, very good advice. Now, the question is, is are there effective 
techniques yeah. by which you can block yeah, that. Yeah, there's multiple layers. That, on, on a um, simple, easy, cheap way that individuals and small business can do, they can they can install some plugins. Uh, there's several, uh, there's a lot of uh, plugins that you can do that block advertising. I could I could probably find some for you if, if you need names, but um, there there's a lot of them out there. Some are better than others, no doubt, just like anything else. But but most a lot of them are free. There's a few that are paid, but a lot of them are free, and they block a large portion of that of advertising. But you can also block advertising in DNS. You can block advertising. Uh, some layer seven uh, firewalls might be able to do it, but for simple consumers and small businesses. Get some uh, good security plugins in your browsers and keep, keep them on most of the time, unless unless there's a site that says you must remove your uh, ad blocker to see this site. Then you you can temporarily sometimes uh, remove it or, or uh, turn it off. And then when you're off that site, then you turn it back on again and you keep on going. Uh, that's that's really good advice. And there are more and more sites that are relying on those advertising dollars. So sure. you know, again, there's, there's a, there's probably like with anything else, there's a balance to be achieved. Oh yeah, exactly. Right? You've seen so many exploits. Is there anything that is memorable that that's like your favorite that you, that uh, oh, you could boy. tell us a story about and protect the innocent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think um, one of the things that comes to mind and it actually, I, I helped one of the key people to help push this into place. Um, not not being able to download whatever app you want off of the internet. Uh, there's a lot of uh, apps that are, you know, open source free on the internet. But the problem is, is a lot of the cyber criminals and other, you know, negative entities, uh, they take that and modify the code and put malware in it. And for example, one one of the one that's used for people or for admins to take care of servers and that sort of thing is an app called Putty. Yeah, P U T T Y. You probably heard of that. Very very there's, familiar with it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of the versions of Putty out there are malicious on the internet, and if if you don't know where you're getting it from, you know it, you may be downloading some malware. But there's there's others, uh, FileZilla. I mean, I can, you That's know, I can probably go on, on. out there too. Yeah. 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 A lot of the, a lot of the apps that sysadmins use to, to, to do. And so I started seeing people download them and I would, a lot of times I would grab the same thing and start looking, analyzing myself and I said, Whoa, this is not, this is not the good version. <laughs> this is, this is the bad version. And so, uh, basically there were several of us that got together and, uh, we pushed where, they could only download apps from an internal website and uh, to, to be able to get uh, the tools that they needed because we uh, had people verify. And actually we, I had some people go and, and to the actual, the person that wrote the code, original code and said, Hey, can you give me a good version? <laughs> so that's not, not malicious, not have malware. In now it. there's a novel idea. If it's open source, why not just go to the author themselves? Yeah. And you know, I, I, ideally what you should do, uh, if it was a, a company, g give them some money, give them some money and say, Hey, thank you very much for, you know, your app here. And it's going to be cheaper probably than a commercial version. And, you know, then, and if you could verify that it was a, a good version, uh, Hey, you know what? That's a, that, that's a, that is a cheap insurance policy. Oh yeah, 
I used to be, many years ago, in my early days of PCs, I used to say, oh, I want to be able to download whatever I want, whenever I want, whatever. But the problem is, when I started seeing more and more people getting compromised, I thought, oh, maybe, you know, Apple, when they had the, the closed system, you know, and they're trying to only download apps from this, maybe that's a good idea now. I, at, at first, I thought, no, why should we, you know, be, uh, you know, throttled from from uh, downloading the apps that you want. But now I'm sort of thinking it's probably the, the average consumer, the average person doesn't have the capability to be able to analyze a piece of software and know whether it's malicious no, or not. Oh, I 100% agree. And, and, and you know, and, you're also cutting out shadow IT. Yeah. To some oh, degree yeah. by doing that. Sure. But I can tell you, uh, even though, even though, um, you know, antivirus and endpoint security generally, they're getting better and better all the time, yeah. but I've I've had dozens dozens of pieces of uh, open source software that that were malicious, and I knew they were malicious sometimes a week or two before all the an, all the antivirus endpoint security. Uh, look, <clears throat> I'm not going to get in trouble because we actually did a paper on this topic. And, and yeah. it became a uh, little bit controversial, but all these endpoints, they are uh, all the antivirus systems out there are pretty darn good, but they're going to miss about 10%. And I'm going to generalize. They will always miss about 10% of what's mm -hmm. floating around out there. Yeah. And if you happen to download or come across that 10% that's in the wild, well, and you don't have the skills of a Bob Carver, then you're not going to uh, you're yeah. going to succumb to some bad things potentially. Exactly. You know, nothing is free. When you download something for free, it's not free. Yeah, there's it, a it, there's a reason for it. It may have the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> it, so, it compromises your system, then it'll probably go out and try to compromise other systems. So, Bob, you know this. You know we're talking about downloading technology just switching this a little bit, it seems like a lot of InfoSec programs, okay, are really focused on, you know, acquiring new technologies versus addressing the people process awareness side of the equation. Mm -hmm. Why, why is that? Why, why is there such, why is everyone thinking that I can cure my problems with just another tool how about looking at your people as one of your largest and most valuable tools in the organization sure that can evolve i and, I, I, I agree uh, i think i think larger corporations have been working on that quite a bit uh, it, it's a little tougher with smaller corporations where they have or smaller companies um they they just may not have the resources or they uh you know if it's a person that's that it's the owner of the company he's he's busy trying to make business happen you know to have sales to have income that sort of thing and to get to the point where they can have somebody to focus on security or even uh possibly train people to to have a security awareness program of sorts maybe not a full program but you know where they have some sort of quick course you know every every quarter or 
or even as much as once a month, you're going to do a you know, five, 10 minute thing once right. a month. And, you know, just for awareness. Uh, they, a lot of times they just like, you know, I'm already working, you know, 80 hours a week and I, <laughs> and they just, just don't have it. The other thing I think that on small, medium businesses, a lot of times they have an IT guy and they think that the IT guys should do all the security too. And well, there's a know, ton of that going on. Oh, too. Yeah. Too much, too much. And, the, the poor IT guy, a lot of those small companies, he's already, you know, he's, he's, a uh, you know, he needs three or four hands already just to, just to manage the systems and keep them up and running properly, let alone to try to investigate security incidents. So uh, unless something really goes bad, it, it may not even be seen for a long time. Yeah. I uh, couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we've also, even in larger companies where we've seen because of budgeting cycles, they get caught up with what was budgeted, but what may not necessarily be the most effective for the present day. Because when the budget was built, yes, there was a different set of conditions than the world in six months changes rapidly. <laughs> it, it, it does. Especially in InfoSec or cybersecurity. Um and and we've seen this, we see it quite often, even in larger companies. We're like, well, we budgeted for firewalls and now we got to spend the money there. But maybe that's not the best place to go spend yeah. it, given what their threat surface is and how sure. things have changed. No, I understood. Right. So is there, you know, what can be done about that? Even in the larger companies, is there a realization that maybe there needs to be more flexibility brought into the procurement cycles or budgeting cycles or more flexibility? Because it seems like at least as an outsider, and we, we work occasionally with the enterprises, but it seems like there's a very solid line there that says, you know, well, this is the money and this is what it's going to be. Yeah, uh, well, that's... Um... I think part of it depends on the the CFO or the person in charge of the money, um, how flexible they are. And a lot, a lot of large companies that have been in existence a long time, they do have a, a, a sort of a, a somewhat rigid way that they finance things. And they want you to sort of stay the course, I guess, most of the time. Well, occasionally, occasionally there's some flexibility and some money can be moved into something that could be considered uh, more important. Uh, but part of it depends on uh, your person that controls the purse strings and how flexible they are and, and how just the awareness uh, of how fast things change in cybersecurity. Uh, I think, you know, the mindset, I, I know where it, I spent a lifetime in manufacturing before I was in, in tech and it comes from manufacturing, right? Manufacturing, you do want to stay the course. And and when you would, and typically when you were ordering things, it wasn't things that were available in two microseconds. You had to place orders and they were built and then they were delivered. Sure. You couldn't just change, right? And I get that. But applying that same mentality to something like cyber or technology in general, maybe there's a rethinking that, uh, CFOs should have on this topic. Yeah, they. Uh, I think a lot of CFOs or or people that charge the purse springs, they uh, probably 
it would be good if they could have uh, a refresh maybe every quarter of all the changes in technology that are happening. Yeah, you know, just to help them out and to help them best understand how things, how fast things are moving. I mean, it's it's moving fast. Of course, you know we know we know that uh, like in AI and uh, you know that Chat GPT and uh, machine learning and all that is is happening very fast right now. Have you tried Chat GPT by the way? Uh, yeah, I have an account. Yeah, that thing's yeah, amazing. I, I <laughs> yeah. I had I had I put on a video on on LinkedIn and on uh, YouTube just recently. Uh, I had I had it write a haiku and uh, haiku being a Japanese style. I know poem. poem. Did you yeah. see that? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see your. I will go and look it up after this. Yeah, but I uh, have. Anyway, I saw a demonstration. I had a junior associate at a law firm recently give yeah. me a demonstration of Chat GPT mm-hmm. and how they could use it. And it just, I was like, if I was Google, I would be worried. <laughs> yeah. I would be worried. Well, Google's, Google's <laughs> on a big time. Baidu, the you know Chinese search engines on a big time. And of course, Bing and Microsoft too. They're, yeah. they're on it. I think they've been hiring, hiring, or hiring to, to, to be able to. Well, be a, catching up is a tough thing. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. But it's but, but it's I think they've been I think Google's been working on it in the in the background. They they're just not quite as uh, they didn't go out there as you know as big in it from a PR marketing standpoint. I think they are now. They they actually I actually signed up for for the uh, Google version. I can't remember the name now, but uh, anyway, hopefully I'll hear something soon. Well, you know, getting back to. Uh... The CFO conversation, this is something they'll understand is the rapid changes happening in the world of cyber insurance. And they'll certainly understand that uh, from what we've been reading, cyber insurance providers are typically today paying out 30 cents on the dollar uh, of the contracted value because they are really looking at the fine points of exceptions. And... uh, looking at how yeah. they're going to minimize their payout. So what what's happening in that world? I mean, we yeah. know what's driving I, I, such a massive clampdown. I wrote an article of uh, 2023 cybersecurity predictions and a, and a wish list. And this is one of the key points that I brought up uh, about, I said, cybersecurity insurance is big time in flux right now. And, I think right now all the pieces are sort of like thrown up in the air and we're going to see how, where everything lands. But um, one of the things that, that was sort of the big indicator of what was going on, Lloyd's of London, as you probably know, is one of the largest reinsurers of of cyber insurance in the world. And they're partners with a lot of the other large cyber companies in this cyber insurance. And they made an announcement uh, a few months back they said, oh, we're not going to insure any nation state related breaches anymore. And that, of course, that's that's a lot. I mean, it's, you know, it's the Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, on and on. You can name it. And if it's considered a, a nation state sponsored breach, they just won't cover it. Quite interesting. Within about a week later after they announced that they were breached by some nation state. And, <laughs> and uh, so, which was really ironic. And then, well, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Oh, and after that, uh, Zurich Insurance said, basically said, uh, 
I don't think we're going to be able to consider, you know, continue on this course of cyber insurance as we know it. It's 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 going to have to change drastically. And there there are going to be a bunch of changes and it's already it's already started. So what what did you want to say? Well, I can tell you from when you were talking about Lloyd's, we know them intimately well. Not that we work with them directly, but right. we had uh, some mutual clients and uh, in the energy sector, I won't name names, but they got dropped. Their coverage got dropped. They just said, you know what? In this space, we just don't care. We don't care what controls you have. We're yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. We're just not going to insure it. Yeah. You're not insurable, which for Lloyd's is a big thing because remember, I think they insured Marilyn Monroe's finger or Cary Grant's eyes. They insured anything you could get your hands on. So right. for a company like that to uh, just say for cyber, this sector, we're washing our hands of it. So long, I mean, farewell. It's time to say yeah. goodbye. You know, that's a really big thing. I there. I think the thing, one of the key things we have to look at is the exclusions in the fine print. There's, there's going to be more and more and more exclusions in the fine print. So you better have your attorney and probably even an insurance expert with you when you go to sign the next version of insurance. And of course, the other thing is the cost of insurance has gone sky high. You know, a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people that their insurance went up like 40, 60 percent, and there's some of them even several hundred percent. Yep. So that's a key thing. Um, and then, of course, you probably, you may have heard this, but uh, they're going to start requiring multi-factor authentication on a lot of things, especially anything that has to do with admin privileges, any privileged account at all. Um, if they okay, find so out two questions on that. Sure. You're absolutely right. They are requiring, um, unless you're a donut shop, then maybe you don't have anything yeah. to MFA. But right. Barring something like that, they're requiring MFA. Why MFA only? Or why is everyone no, keyed on I, MFA? Uh, you know, and is it because the tax surface is so large, MFA is a key piece of it. Mm -hmm. But then you also mentioned admin accounts. How the heck do I know what admin accounts I have? I mean, that's a yeah. that's a whole bees nest of sure. a problem so yeah. please I, i'd like you to comment yeah. on both those it's uh, well uh, when you're when it's a real small business they may not know i mean if they have a part-time pc guy that comes in and look at their system maybe once a quarter or something just to see if everything's working okay you know it's the pc guy probably hopefully knows but um but the small business owner, a lot of times he's not going to know. And, no, uh, but even in like a, a, sm a 500 person company is a small business, right? And sure. You look oh, at yeah. the number of uh, cloud-based services that they're consuming, right? Whether that be Salesforce, Jira, uh, you know, you pick something, you know, QuickBooks. Yeah. Office, uh, Office 365. Office 365. They have a huge cloud-based infrastructure, you know, they mm -hmm. might have stuff in AWS and, uh, right. uh, and they might have a lot of admins, various admins and various service level accounts that are accessing those things. Right. So how the heck well, do you... Well, I'm telling people more and more, I mean, to try to stay away from 
two-factor authentication that's text-based or SMS-based. Um, it's just sort of like, it's, it's better than nothing, but it is, it is the bottom of the barrel of MFA. You need to have uh, one of the, uh, you know, the apps that, that can do two-factor authentication, or even better yet is if you can do security keys. Of course, then security keys, you know, the, the, the issue is you're concerned that somebody might lose their security key somewhere, and then, then they'd have difficulty, you know, getting back into the system. But uh, but the key key thing I think here is that uh, there's I don't think you're going to see as much checkbox type questionnaires, especially the larger you get. They're going to want verification somehow or another. And boy, I tell you, if you try to put MFA on a system after it's been breached, they're going to have a forensics expert that's going to tell them that. And they're going to say, sorry, you, you know, <laughs> game over. <laughs> go, go, you know, you have no money coming to you. I Thanks I, for playing. <laughs> you say that, and I believe it's probably happened quite a bit. Yeah, it's already starting. It, it's happened quite a bit. Because, uh, you know, can we get away from service level accounts? Yeah, it's, it, it is awful hard. You got to have, you know, you got to be able to, <laughs> the, people got to be able to do their work. Simple as that. So is this a place for Pam? Sure. Um, I think, uh, I think we're going to go beyond that. I mean, you got, you have your access management and you got, uh, you got to verify the user, verify the user account, verify what computer it's coming from the all the all the players involved yes and then as far as zero trust you probably eventually will have more micro segmentation where the permissions are very very uh small uh you know where uh, you you might be able to see only have say like read only access to a certain part of a database not even the whole database if the you database know, is designed for that kind of granularity. I mean, that's, well, that's another true. problem, right? That's I mean, a true. Lot Absolutely. Absolutely. If it's mom and pop database, it's probably one big happy family. <laughs> Anybody can go in there and do everything. Well, I mean, I'll tell you that um, there is a major production shop that makes major motion pictures. And... Uh, we encountered where the the final prints were on a s database server that wasn't that needed yeah. some security. I'm going to leave it at that, right? Right. It's been corrected since then, but good. <laughs> you know, but I'm glad. But that um, that could have been a catastrophic financial loss. Sure. I mean, you, you know how you know it's interesting. Um, a friend of mine, their friend, designed a. Uh, storage system just for the movie industry. And he spent a lot of money developing it and making it secure and having encrypted and on and on and on. And uh, I can't remember the exact dollar figure, but com compared to what movie studios generally spend on their movies, it was relatively minor. But they could, and they had a chance to try it out, I think at least six months and it worked perfectly like as designed and they just didn't want to come up with the money for that uh, 
it was interesting, but uh, considering. Uh, believe me, I believe that story in its entirety. Yeah. Given our and, experience and, with it. I and, and this this person had relatives in the industry and had key contacts. And they just, they just didn't, it's, it wasn't on their radar. So, and you know, what's amazing to me is that they'll spend a hundred million dollars in the shooting, filming, production of a major yeah. motion picture. It might cost them 600 grand to get the right boundary layers in place. Right. Which is nothing. What's the interest on a hundred million dollars? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, they, I think... I think this. I think one studio wanted to buy it outright. The ownership of like the, uh, a patent and everything. I think they only wanted to offer like maybe two hundred thousand dollars. And he said, no, "Well, that's the cost for you to be able to use it, but not to I own know. it outright." Yeah. Yet, and so my counter is like in this case, the final cut was actually available to anyone with the right skills. Yeah. And they could release the movie before the movie house could and make sure. it available globally for free. Yeah. Now, what is the financial loss with that? And oh, the yeah. 600 grand, really any amount of money to even talk about in the guarding of that. Yeah. I, I, so Understood. It's Yeah, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. I, I always visualize that, that, again, that rushing to what roulette, like a pistol and they had the one bullet in it. <laughs> And, and it's like, here, <laughs> hand, hand on the gun. Do you feel lucky today or not? <laughs> Is this the way you run your cybersecurity program? Exactly. So, you know, you, uh, in the insurance world, you talked a little bit about MFA. What about social engineering and uh, routers and endpoints and all that? Is there, yeah. uh, is that going to get uh, requirements around those things going to get toughened up? I, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. There, there's. I think they're still trying to figure out a lot of things like that. Um, I think it sounds like a lot. There's a lot of talk about they may not pay the ransomware anymore. You know, where where it was a big time, they just pay it, pay it, and they may or may not get the data back, even though they pay the ransomware. Oh, I, the data part is a farce. <laughs> I would never believe you even got it back because. Yeah. Sure. And and you probably heard in the statistics, I mean, a lot less people were paying the ransom last year. A yes. A lot, lot less. So what's happening now, the trend now, and you may know this already, is, is that they're just uh, exfiltrating all the data. They're holding that for ransom. They say, well, we're going we're gonna to start selling it on the market here in 48 hours if you don't come up with X amount of dollars and, uh, or cryptocurrency. See, how is know. this different from Bonnie and Clyde? You know, yeah. if, if kidnapping didn't work, let's resort to extortion now. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it's. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's the modern day Bonnie and Clyde is, you know, <laughs> uh, or, or, uh, uh, what's the famous mobster? It says, why do you rob banks? It's, it's where the money is. That's where the well, money is. Yeah, I don't know it, who said that. That wasn't Al Capone. It, uh, yeah, no. it was one of the big mobsters. We'd have to look it up. But then um, now it's like, okay, it's, why, why are you doing this cyber crime? It's, well, it's where the Bitcoin is. <laughs> <laughs> or Monero or whatever, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that that and that's a whole nother topic, which we, we're not going to have time to talk about. But I'd love to have you back to talk about that whole Sure. The, the, you know, the whole Bitcoin thing. So, Bob, we're actually, man, we did not get through this list because I want to give you some time to 
go ahead and plug things that you want to bring to our audience's attention. Are there any appearances, books, talks, anything that you're up to that you'd um, like to plug out you there? Know, I've, I've not been as active lately uh, as a result of COVID, uh, but uh, I'm hoping to be at Black Hat and DEF CON this summer if everything, you know, the COVID and all the other viruses that are running around have slowed down a little bit. Uh, but one of the things I'd like to just uh, tell people to look into doing some ad blocking. I'll, I'll have a video here very soon. Maybe even if I have time, I'll, I may get it out by tomorrow on uh, ad blocking. Because uh, that, that is a thing that's happening currently right now. And also, everybody should be doing MFA on all the accounts that you can. If you, if possible, look into eventually doing security keys like YubiKey, uh, those will up your uh, your uh, ability to be able to protect your accounts better than most things right now. That's uh, wonderful advice, Bob. And, you know, we need to get you back and okay. get into more uh, more topics. We've only yeah. scratched the surface. Yeah, if that... I remember I was uh, interviewing for... Uh, a uh, board job on a small startup and uh, we got talking and uh, it was supposed to be like, you know, maybe 45 minutes to an hour at the most. We ended up taking, talking for like four hours straight. <laughs> so it can happen. It, it absolutely, uh, there, there's a wealth of knowledge that you have and, and we're grateful that you're willing to share it with uh, our entire audience and the planet. Make us all a little bit safer. Absolutely. Well, Bob, thank you so much for being on the show. We look forward to having you back at some point. You, you bet. And take care of yourself. Everybody stay safe and secure until next time. Till next time.